Mac Power Users, episode 648. Software Club, Apollo for Reddit. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett and I'm joined by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hey, Stephen. How are you today? I am great. I'm back from vacation. Uh, Just this morning, I finished the episode with Zach. Fantastic episode. I loved the space segment for MPU members. I thought he did a great job there. Uh, But I'm I'm glad to be back and uh, glad to be talking to you, my friend. Yeah, yeah, me too. I enjoyed. I learned actually quite a bit about space last week. Now, I, I, he's got me following some projects. I, I think you and I need to talk offline about this stuff. I didn't realize we were going back to the moon. How did I miss that? Yeah, going uh, probably by the end of the decade, maybe. He's <laughs> Zach and I have talked about this. He's a little more optimistic about uh, NASA's dates than I am, but that that's okay. Okay. Somewhat related. I'm really enjoying the Apple series uh, for all mankind. Yes. The season three is really good, man. I can't wait for Fridays. It is so, so good. And uh, yeah, Apple TV plus, man, they're just killing it. Uh, we started watching the sh- show. It's like, I forget the name of it, but it's got the dinosaurs, like the prehistoric something or other. And uh, we watched the first episode of that the other night with the kids, and that was that was good. Yeah, we, the the one that we finally finished Dickinson because they finished the series. Yeah, that was good too. A lot of good stuff. Mm-hmm. Who who would have guessed Apple so good at TV? I would not have guessed that five years ago. Well, you know they they hired some of the HBO people about because yeah. hey, HBO got acquired, and it really feels to me kind of like. Apple TV has taken the role of classic HBO and that like they don't have a lot, but they have really well-produced stuff. Like the stuff mm-hmm. you get on their channels, good, good quality. So everybody tells me I have to watch the severance show and it's getting to the point where so many people are telling me to watch it that I almost am resistant to watching it. Have you watched that one? Yeah, I binged it. I totally get it. The feeling of, okay, everyone's telling me to watch this. So I instinctively don't want to watch it. Totally understand that. But it is, uh, it's really good. All right. Is it scary? No. There, are, there okay. are a couple. It's unsettling in places, but it's not. There's nothing that's scary or upsetting, really. I didn't, I didn't even know it was like a horror thing. I, I just don't have any idea what it's about. So Yeah, I would say it's got a creepy vibe, but it's not. Yeah, no, I don't like scary stuff, and I was totally fine with it. All right. Okay. Well, I guess I got to watch that now. Mm-hmm. Hey, Software Club, time to do that again. But before we do, we got a couple of announcements. Yeah, I got something really exciting to talk about. So I have launched my second Kickstarter, which is, I can't believe I'm saying it because I've been working on it for six months. But I last year did a wall calendar that featured my own product photography of Apple stuff. And then instead of traditional holidays, I highlighted history dates, like with an Apple. So like, oh, the Titanium Power Book came out this date and the Xserve Raid was discontinued on this date, those sorts of things. And it was a huge success last year. So let me again say thank you if you're one of the almost 1,200 people who bought a calendar from me last year. Thank you. And I immediately got emails and tweets, people wanting to know if I was going to do it again. Uh, and the answer is yes. So I have done it again. It still features my own product photography, but instead of hardware dates, this year it's 
software dates. And there are a whole bunch of them in there where, you know, this OS was released this day or like one of my favorite ones is sometime in the 90s. I don't have it in front of me. Apple did this press release like saying we're committed to the IMAP standard in future Mac OS email products. <laughs> it's like, yeah, <laughs> in hindsight, well, like, yeah, you better have been. But at the time, it was a big deal. And so uh, I've spent months pouring over tons of research, pulling these dates out. Uh, the layout's all finished. The photography's almost done. Uh, but the Kickstarter is up. So there's a link in the show notes. Uh, it's running... As this comes out, you've got about three, three and a half weeks left. And I would love it if you would look at it, uh, consider backing it, because I think it's going to be something something really cool. I'm going to be hanging one on the wall of indoor studios. I can't wait to get it up. That's that's awesome. One of my I say this in, in the video. One of my favorite things over the last year, like we can just be honest for a second, right? Like it's it's been a hard several years for a lot of people, including me. One of seriously, one of the things that has brought me so much happiness is on the first of each month, I get tweets and emails and messages in Discord of people turning over their calendar and seeing the new photo. Um, I'm doing the same thing this year as I did last year, where I'm not sharing the photos in advance. I want it to be a treat each month. When you, and if you get it and tear through it and open it all on the first day, that's totally your call. But my vision of it has always been you turn the page each month and you see the new photo for the first time. And so every first of each month, I get this little rash of messages from people who are doing that. I think that's so cool. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that it's bringing people some happiness as we like talk about the technology we love. And uh, I'm, yeah, I'm just, I'm really excited to do it again. And uh, I think this one in some ways is perhaps more interesting than the first because the there's so much more software to contend with. Like I can tell you the research for this has been exponentially more work than the first one because there's just so much more to contend with. And I pulled this full list of dates together. My initial list was almost a thousand dates, probably more than that. Um, and I kind of realized it actually had like, different subsections of things. And so I pulled some of them out to maybe for like a future different project around like Apple services and like corporate stuff. But uh, there's so much interesting software and, you know, Apple builds amazing hardware and we spend a lot of time talking about that. But I think David, what gets you and I excited just as much as the hardware is the software, the tools that make this hardware go. And so I think there's gonna be a lot of stuff in this calendar that people have forgotten about or never got to experience or never even heard of. Again, you go back to the 80s and 90s, there's some wacky stuff in there. So it's I think it's going to be a lot of fun and uh I'm just I'm just excited that the the Kickstarter's finally here. Yeah, man. I know you've been working on this really hard. I think maybe we should give a bunch of our next feedback episode to that whole workflow because um I know there's a lot involved. I mean, I know yeah. you're using DevonThink and other tools. Um, I'd love to hear how you sorted through all that and figured it out and verified your dates. I mean, you don't want to get the date wrong because you know some of these actually go in Apple Park. Yeah, they do. Uh, I know for a fact there are several of, of uh, the current calendar hanging at Apple Park, which is really humbling and amazing to me. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we could do that because I do think it's interesting. And uh, even if you're not making a Apple history calendar, Please don't. Uh, you know, a lot of people in our community and our audience, 
do similar things, right? Like you have this this mountain of data and you've got to pull stuff out of it if you're a student or you're an analyst or something like that. And so I've definitely learned a lot about that. I'd, I'd love to share more about it in the future. Today, um, more, more power users. So we're doing a software club show today all about Reddit software, uh, specifically Apollo, which is, in my mind, the premier Reddit software. And uh, Christian, the developer, is going to join us for the second half of the episode. This is kind of a new format for us where we're going to talk about the app and how we use it for the first half of the show. Second half of the show, we'll bring in the developer to kind of tell the story behind the app. And Christian's going to join us in more power users today to talk about just the world of being an indie app developer in 2022 and the challenges and advice he'd give to people. So software club. Yeah. I look in the archives. We have not done a good job of covering Reddit on the Mac power users over the years. And, um, and I have slowly kind of come around to really liking Reddit, but uh, initially I, I wasn't a fan of Reddit because there was so much garbage on it to begin with. And, um, and I just kind of want to talk through that a little bit and, and what it is and how it works. Yeah, it's, it's a big topic and I too have sort of stayed away from covering it or talking about it because it is, there is some fragile stuff here we have to talk about. On the the surface of it, though, it's a website made up of a bunch of different forums. And they call them subreddits. And you can think about it if you're familiar with the MPU Talk forums. You know, we have hardware and we have software and we have workflows. And it's sort of like that. But there's a subreddit for basically everything under the sun. Uh, But they all work basically the same way, where users can... Uh, add links or images or posts to to a subreddit. So let's just pick uh, let's pick the vintage Apple subreddit just as an example. So we have something to talk about. One of my favorites. Uh, say that I have a question about uh, uh, some performa that I have. You know, I could write a post. I could attach images, have comments, and then people either subscribe to that subreddit or who just come across this post from some other way. Uh, they can comment on it with their own input. Uh, they can up or down vote a post, and basically the something that gets upvoted is more likely to surface at the top of the subreddit. And you can, there's lots of options on how you sort these and how you filter them. Uh, but kind of by default, the more upvotes you get, the better a post will do. Or it can be downvoted into oblivion if you do something annoying or against the rules of the subreddit or something like that. And I'm not one who like, this has changed some of the last couple of years, but I'm not a big like uh, user of Reddit in the sense that I open it every day and like s- scroll through my favorite subreddits. Although I definitely do that f- uh, from time to time, but I think a lot of my Reddit use is more sort of on the research side of things. So like if I'm working on something around the house or I'm doing research for a purchase, like chances are there's a Reddit thread about that and you can, glean information from other people's experiences. And Reddit has kind of become this place over the years where just tons and tons of knowledge have been has been cataloged and stored, again, across almost any category you can imagine. I mean, there is a subreddit for literally anything, I think. Yeah, it's crazy. And like you, I'm the same. I use it for research. I don't. It's not a daily thing for me, but I often do find really good resources there. And because what makes it work for me is the upvoting and the downvoting. 
where you know the generally the useful posts rise to the top and you don't have to go very deep into it in fact the deeper you go the worse the the feedback is so just i mean just to get as an example for me that's unrelated to technology so i'm i'm building out this wood shop it's like my big thing that i am no longer a lawyer i have a little bit of extra time i want to go back to a hobby i used to have and I I really want to do this the exact opposite of everything else I do in my life. I want to make it very um, hand tool based and not automatic, you know, and very much just the process kind of thing. So I needed to figure out how to um, do a special technique that people do with power routers. I wanted to do it with a hand plane. And I, 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 one Reddit search turned me on to a company in Australia that makes this little hand tool that does exactly what I need. And it was literally like one Reddit search. It just was shocking <laughs> to me. And then yeah. like, and there were like three or four people said, oh yeah, I bought that. That's really good. And it works really well. Make sure you get this version of it. And it's like, wow, that could have been a days long process for me. Um, and it was turned into one Reddit search. So I really found value in it in that way. Yeah, there's something about Reddit that surfaces expertise in a way that you don't see on the broader internet. Right. Like anyone can write a blog post and if it does well enough, it'll it'll rank highly in a Google search. But that's just one person's opinion. Right. So say say that you wrote a review of a woodworking tool on Max Sparky. That's I mean, I would trust your judgment on that because I know you're an expert, but the Internet doesn't know that. And something about Reddit, just the way that it's built and the way that it's evolved. Those. points of view that come from expertise have a tendency to rise. They don't always, right? Uh, No system is perfect, but I have definitely had the same experience you have of making a purchase or trying to decide something or just uh, wanting to, you know, kind of have a more informed opinion about something you, you can find it. And I think that's overall the upside of Reddit, that it is so broad and it's got a huge audience with tons of information but that that does come with downsides as well. Yeah, and, and I find generally on Reddit, the more useful, the more niche a subreddit is, the more useful it is to me. Like, they have a Reddit on Apple, and I don't get a lot of use out of that because a bunch of people say garbage in there. Honestly, I don't. I just don't find I get that much out of the Apple Reddit. But then if you get into the shortcuts subreddit, the one that's just about shortcuts. There's actually people in there that are working with shortcuts and they, they're talking about problems they face, you know, or, or solutions they've come up with. And that's actually useful. So one of the tricks for me with, with Reddit is get as laser focused as you can when you go into a room and then you're going to probably get better information. Yeah. And there are definitely communities and subreddits on the site that are, that range from a little problematic to extremely problematic. Uh, Reddit has had, just like any major website, has had issues with content moderation. There is a lot of adult content on Reddit that if that's not your jam, you know, it's it's basically just over there, but it is there. And there are things you need to contend with um, when it comes to that. And there are times where the bad bleeds into the good. And I think there's also times where Reddit's there, there are parts of Reddit and parts of the community around Reddit that I find really kind of uh, distasteful. I think there, there are some cultural things 
that can happen in some subreddits that are really pretty negative. But I agree with you on the whole that the more specific something is, the less likely you are to run into those things. So if you're looking at shortcuts or there's a home bridge one that's pretty good. Um, one thing that I've done is, you know, look through subreddits for the vehicles that I own, right? Of like trying to to work out a problem with a vehicle or uh, let's be honest with my truck, you know, something I want to tinker with or change. Like if you can get really specific, you have a better chance of missing those other things. But Reddit is by no stretch of the imagination, a perfect platform with perfect users. I think it's just important to go in with your eyes open. And, and we can't guarantee you're still not going to run into a bit of the nonsense, even in the, you know, more niche forums, like in the, in the hand tools forum, somebody put something in there about a uh, Bitcoin or something and, you know, quickly got voted down. It's just, you know, some of this stuff happens. It's the internet. It's, it's a place where people can be relatively anonymized and they can post things. Mm-hmm. So that brings out the worst in a certain kind of person. But, um, so I guess we're we're explaining why we've never gone into it deep, but talking about this, Stephen and I realized that both of us had kind of adopted Reddit in a very kind of limited fashion and useful ways that we thought we should share with the audience. And of course, we both use the exact same Reddit app, so uh, we thought this would be a good one for Software Club and Christian, the developer, is just such a solid guy. But um. Overall, I think Reddit can be good. It's it's you know it's a worldwide audience. There's no way I would have found a um, you know the uh, a dado plane from Australia uh, any other way that I'm aware <laughs> of. You know, so um, so there there are things you can get out of it, but but you take a, some of this. Be willing to say, "Whoops, I don't want to go down that tunnel any further," and um, and you'll probably be okay. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair, and uh, I think with especially like using an application like Apollo, which we're going to talk about, it can actually, I think, be almost easier to make sure you're kind of just staying in the in the corners that you, you want to be in. Yeah. Hey, let's talk about a few of, since we've been uh, bashing on Reddit rooms, let's talk about a few that we actually like. Yeah. Um, so I'm we've, we've talked about two that I like, Vintage Apple and Shortcuts. I think both have really strong communities. I think shortcuts is maybe the best of the Apple subreddits where it's, it's really specific. I agree with you about r slash Apple. It's a bit broad for me. And usually the things in there are things that I've already seen before, but um, shortcuts in particular, you, you can very often find, you know, someone working on a problem that, that you're working on. Yeah. Agreed. HomeKit is another really good one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, both HomeKit and that, like I mentioned earlier, there's a specific HomeBridge one if you're using HomeBridge. And again, people trying to solve problems and help others solve problems with the technology, which is something that comes up in HomeKit sometimes. Yeah. And like if you were thinking about doing a HomeBridge, for example, I would go to Reddit and just kind of read through the last two or three weeks versus posts just to get an idea of what's going on with HomeBridge and where people are hitting trouble spots and give you a much better idea whether or not this is something for you. Um, so it can be a research in terms of should I get involved with this, but it also is a great resource as you're working through it. Uh, Vintage Apple, I, you know, I wasn't aware of that one because I just never thought of it. But after you put it in the outline, I started looking through it. Man, that that is that is some sweet stuff right there. <laughs> yeah, there there are a lot of people doing cool stuff with uh, 
with hardware and software. I mean, you, you'll scroll through there and it's a lot of pictures of like people on their collections or they're trying to troubleshoot a, a logic board or something. And then it's like, oh, I built a, a web uh, server from my Apple II GS. Visit this website. And it's like, what are you doing? It's uh, it's fun. Really fun. That is that is honestly what I love about the internet is like the the, the vibe of that, that red subreddit, Vintage Apple. I mean, those are my people right there. Mm-hmm. I talked earlier about the tool stuff. There's like a woodworking one I like. There's also a hand tools one, which is where I read the most stuff and go in there and I find things in there. Um, I don't read it like as a new source, although some people can do it. I wouldn't recommend it. Um, I don't think it's really that good for news. I mean, because it's always like um, it just, there's too much opinion mixed in. You got to go make your own opinions. But there's a couple that that can cheer you up. There's one called Uplifting News, which is kind of fun. I once in a while, I will go in there and just look through it and see what it is. And there's there's one that I actually like called Explain Like I'm Five. And sometimes in the evening, I'll just go in there and people have interesting questions and somebody will answer it like they're answering the same question to a five-year-old, which is what I need if it's something out of my wheelhouse. And <laughs> you learn things, you know? So I, I like that. Explain Like I'm Five. Yeah, it's good. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by SaneBox. Go to SaneBox.com slash MPU, get $25 off, and stop drowning in email. Now, if you've been following me in the Max Sparky Labs lately, you know that I am on a mission with respect to my email. I am trying to rethink the way the whole system works for me. I'm trying to bring automation to bear, and now that I've made this career change, I think I can be better at email, and I'm working on it. Uh, a big piece of that for me is SaneBox, because SaneBox is like having my own personal assistant that is sorting my email for me 24-7. I love it. SaneBox learns what email is important to you and filters out what isn't. It saves you hours. And it works with all kinds of email programs and services. I've been trying it with MailMate and Apple Mail lately, but you can use it with Gmail and all the other stuff as well. But that's not all you get with SaneBox. You also get email filtering. So when I say email filtering, what I'm talking about is allowing to get your mail and put it in separate boxes is for you. And your inbox shouldn't have all of it. You know, it shouldn't have the important and the junk. With SaneBox, you set up additional folders like Sane Later, and it puts stuff into the later folder that's not as important to you. Uh, you've got the same black hole where you can unsubscribe with one click. You just drag it in there and you never hear from that person again. They've got the snooze button where you can defer emails to later into the week or the weekend or next Tuesday at 2 p.m., whatever you want. They can do it for you. And then they also have Sane Reminders, which is something I really like. Uh, Sane Reminders allows me to carbon copy any email to a, a specific time, like one week at SaneBox.com. And then if the person doesn't reply to me by that time, then I get a notice saying, hey, they never replied. What are you going to do about it? And it's a great workflow. I used to have to do this in OmniFocus, but now this is much faster and easier. Uh, SaneBox is more than filtering, though. If you want to move attachments to Dropbox, it does that for you. It's got a bunch of great features and various pricing plans starting as low as $4 a month. You can get a 14-day free trial. Just go over to SaneBox.com slash MPU. And if you sign up, you get a $25 credit. The team at SaneBox can never get over how many MPU listeners end up subscribing. Uh, we are leading the pack gang because we all value productivity. I bet you'll love it too. Go to SaneBox.com slash MPU. Uh, to get that $25 credit on any plan and sign up. Thanks again to SaneBox for sponsoring the Mac Power users. Go check it out and stop drowning in email.
Let's talk about Apollo uh, a little bit. It is uh, an iOS app that gives you the features of Reddit without needing to use the Reddit website. I mean, if you're familiar with Tweetbot or Twitterific, you know, those are, are Twitter clients. Um, you can go use the Twitter website or the official Twitter app, but there's this third-party solution as well. And Apollo really fits into, uh, sort of into that that landscape. It's it's an app written by a third-party developer, uh, but using all the technology that that Reddit gives them. And it is a just a world-class iOS app. It looks great. It has some amazing features and. It is, in my opinion, the best way to use Reddit on an iPhone. Yeah, it's just really tasteful, you know. And and the developer Christian, um, he spent time working at Apple, and he really got got the right idea with this app. And I uh, I agree. I mean, I, I've tried other apps that you know, uh, Reddit is a web service at its foundation, and it works in your browser, but it is not really that that pleasant on the browser, particularly on mobile devices. Um, so this app really kind of increases the experience. It allows you to have safe searches and favorites and, you know, just kind of takes all the friction out of using Reddit. Yeah, it does. And it has some, some really cool features that make it, I think a much better experience than Reddit's website itself. And there's a whole history to Reddit's website and they changed it a few years ago and a lot of people were mad. So there's like an old version and a new version, but in terms of using it on an iPhone, the mobile website is pretty clunky and Reddit is like super thirsty about wanting you to be logged in either through Gmail or your Apple ID or directly with a Reddit account. And you get lots of pop-ups and stuff on the the mobile website in particular to log in. Whereas Apollo, you can use Reddit not logged in. You can log in and get all your customizations, but it really is iOS first. So you get things like gestures where you can slide back and forth on a story and upvote or downvote or share it or comment. And its design really fits in with the iOS aesthetic much more than a mobile website really ever could. Agreed. Agreed. It's just a great app. And, you know, it looks nice. Um, It's a good player on the iPhone and iPad uh, in the sense that it, it, you know, he always brings the latest features in whatever Apple's going to do next. You know, he's going to support it to the extent that it makes sense in a Reddit application. And you know, the other thing, I mean, we've we've gonna we're gonna have him here at the second half of the show. I love these little independently developed apps because these people are so connected to their customers and what makes their app good that they're always going to you know err on the side of giving you what you want and need over what you know helps them monetize it more or whatever other, you know, problems happen often in big companies. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that especially with something that is a, that is a client for a larger web service. So again, Tweetbot or Twitter, Twitterific as examples as well. There's always interpretation and opinion built into those applications, right? Like just look at Tweetbot and Twitterific, how different they are even though they really do the same thing, right? At the end of the day, they are clients for sending and reading tweets. But the way that that is interpreted by the developers are really different. And I think with Apollo, what Christian, the developer, has been able to do is 
build all these features atop of Reddit, but it seems like the the guiding principle there is make a really good iPhone app, right? And that's yeah. not to say it's yeah. not opinionated. It definitely is in places, but I think that it does a good job at, hey, you want all of the the power and features of Reddit on your phone in a way that doesn't want to make you pull your hair out. And one of my, it's just a small thing. I say that not being a developer, but uh, one of my favorite things, at least in Apollo is it's media viewer where if you're on your phone on the Reddit website, you want to look at an image, it comes up. Sometimes it'll zoom correctly. Sometimes it won't. Um, if you're playing video, that can be like a whole different kind of, uh, just who knows how it's going to work, right? depends on where it was uploaded and how it was uploaded. And Apollo, because it's an iOS app and because it's using iOS uh, interface and components, media works the way you would expect it to when looking at a Reddit post where you can tap an image, you can zoom and pan around it. Video works the way you expect it to. And depending on your content that you're looking at in Reddit, that can be actually really important, right? A lot of these subreddits are very image heavy, very video heavy. And doing that on the mobile web just isn't as good. Um, The other thing it gets over the the website is speed and, and consistency where the Reddit website, even on desktop sometimes is like weirdly slow or won't like it'll load half the comments and the page will stop. It's like, you don't really know what's going on. And because Apollo is working at the API level, it seems to be much more consistent and faster when zipping around all of these subreddits, especially ones that again are, are media heavy. And I think it's just another example of like the, the, the web has its place and it shouldn't ever go away, but there are times and being on an iPhone is one of those times where an app can just deliver you a more polished experience that, the mobile web just just can't do. Yeah, I mean, I kind of eased my way into Reddit. Starting with Safari, I didn't get an app for it initially because I thought, well, I can just do this in Safari, but you keep hitting these barriers. It's clearly something designed for a web view, but not for a mobile web view. You know, it just doesn't work that good on your iPhone or your iPad. But So that's what led me to Apollo. And Apollo makes it feel like Reddit was designed for an app. You know, if, if it had, you know, like Instagram released as an app, if Reddit had released as an app, I feel like it would look like this. Yeah, I think that's fair. Something else that Apollo brings to the table that I think is is pretty great is the, um, the ability to, to watch and remind you about subreddits. And so if you... Maybe you follow a subreddit that isn't very active or you want to keep an eye out on uh, a certain thing that may happen. You can set those up within the application and then you can be alerted when those things happen. Uh, The other thing that's nice about it is uh, Reddit has a private messaging system, which is pretty janky on the web, um, but in Apollo, it's actually laid out really well, and you can very kind of easily navigate your private messages, and uh, they look like other posts. They're not like this weird UI that somebody forgot to update. Uh, it's all just very polished, and you can have all of these settings to really customize your experience. You can set subreddits as favorites. You can set sorting. So maybe you want to see just what's new or just what's hot. You can change all of those settings. 
again, you can do that on the web, but sometimes it's buried. And some subreddits have different layouts than others. That's been downplayed over the years on Reddit, but Apollo makes it all very consistent and it kind of puts all of that content on a level playing field, which means bouncing in between these communities is is more consistent and it gives you a, a better experience. So out the door, Apollo is free. Yeah, it is. And you can um you can use it free. And I think I think Christian's done a good job at making the free app pretty viable. Uh, but there are uh, a couple of options. You have Apollo Pro, which is one time five dollars, and it unlocks a bunch of features where you can have multiple accounts. You can have uh, face or touch ID unlock. You can customize some gestures and theming and that sort of thing. And then you also get some more UI stuff, like auto dark mode, custom app icons. Um, But then you can do Apollo Ultra, which gives you all the stuff that's in pro. And we'll have a link in the show notes to his page that breaks this down. Um, I think the biggest thing Ultra adds is push notifications. So you can get a push notification for your inbox. You can customize this, but you can get notifications for replies to your comments or your posts. If you're ever mentioned, you know, if someone's in a comment, they mention your, your handle uh, or those private messages that we, uh, that we mentioned earlier. And these are all like, as you would imagine from a, a, a well-polished application, these notifications are interactive on iOS. And so you can view them, um, upvote them or even reply kind of depending on what sort of notification it is right from, uh, right from the lock screen when the notification comes in. And I don't know about you, but if I ever come across an application whose notifications aren't that way anymore, it really kind of breaks my brain. I've just, I've just come to expect that notifications all, all act this way. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And you know, it's just like, it's a solid strategy. The app's been around since 2017. So he's found a way to give the basic features to everyone and then also monetize it to the extent that he can keep the lights on. And, uh, you know, I just I just really like the model he's used and the way he's done it. I understand, and we'll talk about it with him later, that he actually has to have private servers to to do those notifications. So, I mean, he's got expenses to make this thing work. And, uh, you know, but he's found a way to monetize and give you, as the user, you know, the you can get in at the price point that makes sense for you with the features you're looking for. Yeah. And I think the, the $5 once, I mean, that, that is a a more rare thing, right? We've talked about subscriptions several times on, on the show. And, um, you know, if, if pro, if that unlocks what you want, then, you know, clearly Christian seems okay with that. And, and I think if you're a heavy Reddit user, the five bucks one time is is almost a no brainer. I think it is a no brainer, honestly, because the experience and the customization you get is so much greater than what you get on the web. That if you're a serious Reddit user, this is what you should be looking at. This episode of MPU is made possible by Text Expander. With Text Expander, you can get your team communicating faster, so they can focus on what's most important. Because Text Expander gives your team's knowledge uh, to them wherever they are, whatever platform they're on, whatever software they're running, it's always at their fingertips. 
You can get your whole team on the same page by getting information out of silos and into the hands of everyone that needs it. You can share your team's knowledge across departments so your team is sending a unified message to your customers. They're not spending time reinventing the wheel. So here's how it works. First, you store it. Keep your company's most used emails, phrases, messaging, URLs, and more right within Text Expander. And then you share it. You get your whole team access to all the content they need to use every day. You can organize it by department, and then they can expand it, deploying the content you need with just a few keystrokes on any device across any apps you use. It really is that easy. I cannot imagine doing my job without Text Expander. I use it to expand all sorts of things, support messaging, URLs, my email address, my physical address, my PO box, Basically, anything that I type more than a few times a week ends up in Text Expander. Text Expander is available for Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad, and show listeners and get 20% off their first year. Just visit TextExpander.com slash MPU to learn more and sign up. That's TextExpander.com slash MPU for 20% off. Okay, we've talked about the app. Now let's talk about the app developer. Welcome to the show, Kristen Seelig. Pleasure to be here. Christian and I met in person for the first time just, what was it, about a month ago up on the roof of the Apple Campus Videos Visitor Center? <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. a nice little meeting. Yeah. They, uh, so if you go to the Visitor Center at Apple Park, you can go up on the roof, and there's you can see across the street in the trees, you can kind of see a bit of the, you know, the actual, you know, big building now and um you know the ring and um but there's a there's a real subtle move there that we noticed while we were there that if you um there's shade up there but the slats are laid exactly like north and south so they're kind of parallel to the sun so you are never actually entirely in the shade when you're up there no it was (laughs) hot so you so you you don't stay there very long i guess that's (laughs) you know yeah i guess that's how they keep the customers coming and going yeah, there you go. There you yeah, go. Yeah, it's like uh, you know some bus terminals have things where people won't sleep there. It's it's Apple's version of that. Like you can come <laughs> yeah, hang very out, subtle, but you're going to be uncomfortable after a while. <laughs> yeah, or you can be like a dumb Canadian and just leave looking like a lobster. But yeah, yeah, either one happens too. Although I, my guess is they probably it's more about the way it looked than any subtle move against the people visiting. I think it probably <laughs> they, they chose that and it was it form over function. That's right. But either way, um, uh, Christian, tell us a little bit about yourself. So, so you've been making this app. We've been talking about Apollo, and um, uh, how did you get to the spot where you are an app developer? Um, I guess I kind of stumbled my way into it. Um, I was always interested in app development as a concept ever since those like um, what were they called? like uh, there's an app for that commercials where like um everybody like apps were such a big part of the zeitgeist where everyone was making one on the weekend, becoming a millionaire overnight, and everybody uh, it was in everyone's pockets, and it was just such a cool concept. Not even the money aspect, but just that you build something. Um, and for the first time, it was so able to uh, propagate across the world and become this thing people used. And coming out of high school, that sounded so fascinating to me that I knew it was something I kind of wanted to dig my teeth into. And I uh, ended up going to school for computer science. And my last semester of university, I got an internship at Apple. 
and doing iOS development stuff. And that's when I really knew like, okay, this is, this is really what I want to do. And then coming out of that internship, I, that's when I kind of decided I could go and get, you know, the classic jobby job or kind of see this uh, app development thing through now that I've got this kind of a uh, fire in my belly. And for better or worse, I decided to go <laughs> the indie dev route and it's treated me well so far. I mean, it's extremely democratizing when you look at the historical model for software development. I mean, people that sold software years ago were big companies that had marketing budgets and, you know, contacts with people that could put discs in cardboard boxes and, you know, had contacts at the the retail stores and all this stuff. And really, with the App Store, all that just went away. So someone could develop and release their own app. I mean there was kind of a magic to that for a little while. Oh, for sure. Prior to that, I think my, my exposure to a uh, software distribution was getting the discs in the cereal box. And um, I think it was that and then the iPhone came along and those were kind of my two conceptions of how you distribute software. So I'm still looking into the cereal box model, but the app stores treated me well. <laughs> uh, what, what was it like going from a student where you're studying this stuff to suddenly you're spending time at Apple working on whatever you were working on. like what, what was that process like? And it seems like it really kind of set you up for the path you're on now. It did, yeah. It was really <laughs> sudden and kind of random. I was, we, for my program, we had to do three internships and I was finishing my second. And I, for, I think somebody linked me to like the internship page or something. And it was at the end of my internship and I was like, you know what, I'll just apply into the void uh, before I go back to school. Um, you never know. And yeah, as my internship got closer to the end, I got an email from a recruiter who seemed interested and we set up some interviews and it was just kind of like not something I expected because normally you do internship, semester internship, yada, yada, yada. So I was not expecting to, to do anything. Um, and then, yeah, it all well, worked out and I <laughs> never ended up flying home. I just went right to California and um, did the internship there. And it was um, just a crazy few months of nothing to something really incredible. How do you feel like your education prepared you for that? I mean, were you learning specific technologies in school that, that led you there or was it more conceptual and you sort of put the rubber on the road once you were interning? Um, I don't, I don't want to say anything too bad against my university because it, it was incredible. But I, I think my university in particular was very um, theory based. Like you'd, you'd come out um, knowing how compilers work and how to maybe build your own programming language. And uh, you have all this theory, but um, there wasn't really any way to put... Um, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of focus on putting it to use in a, in a really job-applicable way. So all of the iOS development I learned was completely separate from university. And like I had friends who had like you know a perfect GPA and graduated, but had a really hard time finding a job because it, it turns out all that theory doesn't necessarily prepare you for <laughs> coming out and acquiring a job. Um, whereas I knew people who obviously never went to university who were, I met working that summer at Apple who, you know, some didn't even finish high school and had these incredible jobs and were incredibly driven and smart. So I'd say university was, it was helpful because I needed a visa. And I think that you can't get that without a university degree, um, for that program specifically. But beyond that, I think, um, it wasn't super helpful. The recruiter was more so focused on, I had an app on the app store prior to that. And they were really interested in talking about that. More so than I don't even know if my GPA or courses or anything came mm -hmm. up during the interview process. But what was the app you had at that point? 
Um, it was uh, a little app that helped you learn to speed read. So it was kind of back in that period where it was really, um, there was the websites that they'd like flash one word at a time to try to help you learn to read faster. Uh, and it was really yeah. cool. And I, and I loved that concept and it, and it was helping me through school. And I was like, I'd, I'd really love to be able to do this when I'm, you know, waiting in line at the grocery store or something, uh, have it on the go. And um, I kind of mixed it with um, back then Instapaper and whatnot were really big. So you had all these, this reservoir of articles you were meaning to get to. And I thought mixing that with the concept of having um, applying that to learn to speed read with um, would be really helpful because you'd kind of kill two birds with one stone. And thankfully, it resonated with enough people that it um, through university, it made for some extra side income pretty well. So I was pretty happy with that. Yeah. And, you know, like you have some instant success and that probably you know, spurs you on to, to give it the, the try when you graduate. Oh, for sure. It's, it's, yeah, it's intoxicating getting a few downloads and knowing people are out there actually using your app. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's like nothing I ever experienced before. But also I find that, you know, talking to app developers, that's really what it's about is like, you've got to get up to the plate and swing. I mean, that's the way you do this. Yeah, for for sure. Like I, 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 it always makes me so sad when I see so many people who talk about having like a million side projects and not releasing them because for whatever reason I've I've kind of been lucky in that I, I haven't been burnt too bad by that. Like whenever I build something, it's because I want to show it to people and get people using it. Um, but yeah, like you, you really got to ship it and get it out there because it's so it just drives you to build the next thing too and keep going and and it's 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 honestly so much fun. And you do have a couple of other apps currently on the store beyond Apollo, right? Yeah, yeah. They're in comparison, they're much um, smaller, both in you know size and in, in uh, income. But they're um, yeah, they're a lot of fun ones, like to help um, get rid of those pesky AMP links that plague Google search results. And the other is kind of like a web inspector kind of thing for for mobile. So they're they're kind of two things similar to Apollo, born out of uh, uh, an itch I wanted to scratch um, that I thought there'd be a, an audience for. And thankfully, yeah, it definitely helped the income a little last year too. Yeah, I find uh, the HTML viewer app in particular really interesting because, you know, a lot of those dev tools are just available in any desktop browser, right? And for a long time, iPhone and the iPad, they didn't have that, right? There was there was a time, it may still be there, where you could plug your phone into your Mac and you could, like, run the dev tools in the browser against what the phone was seeing, and it was super janky, uh, but I guess this is using, I guess both of these are really using the the modern Safari uh, extension system, right? Yeah, exactly. That was, it was that um, WWDC of last year that they announced that whole system for iOS finally. And I was like, oh, this is, this is like a really big announcement, like to actually finally be able to hook into Safari on mobile too. So yeah. it was definitely something I was trying to scheme ideas to come up with to, for something fun. Yeah. And it's great having it, especially, uh, on mobile, I mean, you know, I've done, I've dabbled in some web development. I know enough to get myself in trouble. And you can, you can, you know, like in Chrome and Safari, right? You can tell it, hey, you know, load the responsive view. You can tell it, hey, act like you're an iPhone or an iPad. But it doesn't always get you as far as you need to go. And so I've, I've appreciated this the couple of times where I'm trying to troubleshoot something and being able to see, like, okay, what, HTML Safari actually getting like what is it trying to do and help yeah, me work exactly. backwards from there um I, it was not something that crossed my mind when the Safari extension uh stuff was rolled out last year but I'm I'm glad that you thought of it 
<laughs> yeah, well, I was the same way. There's just a few times over the years where I was like, I really, and especially if I'm not wearing near my computer, like again, I'm out at the grocery store or something and I'm looking at a website code for some reason. That's definitely like, what people do work? at the grocery store. That's a completely yeah, normal yeah, thing I to mean, do. <laughs> the lines are so long lately, you got to find something to do. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and I was that was kind of just sitting in the back of my head for years and I was like, okay, this has to be possible with this new API and thankfully, yeah, they made it pretty easy. Somewhat, somewhat related, what do you think of the development of mobile Safari? It seems like it is starting to get more accessible. Have you looked into like some of the announcements we got this year? Yeah, uh, briefly. Like I, I haven't dug deep into WWDC this year as I, as I should have yet. I've got through a few videos. But um, yeah, it seems like every year they're doing more and more cool things. Like Ever since they got started with the Safari View controller stuff, like that whole team seems like they're on fire with some, some really cool Safari tech. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, what Apple gear you're using to do your work on. So let, let's start. You're a developer, so let's start with the Mac. Um, I'm using right now the the 14-inch MacBook Pro that came out last year, the M1 Pro version. And yeah, it's it's really awesome. Yeah, that, that's my notebook as well. And uh, I've, I've really come to love it. Uh, are you using it set up as a desktop or is it just a notebook on a desk? Like what's your overall kind of rig look like? Um, yeah, I'm about 50, 50. I'm very fidgety, um, much to my teacher's chagrin growing up. So I don't like staying in one place very long. So, um, I'm in an apartment, so we've got like a little balcony that overlooks um, a little bit of the city. So I sometimes go there to work. I sometimes go on the couch. Um, but it's probably like 70, 30 desk versus on the go. And, um, so, so I was that guy that splurged on the XDR for like a, a MacBook air last year. So that's my desk setup. Um, just the one monitor. And I got it on like the standing desk and everything. So I've got I've got a really comfy setup there. But yeah, I, I like to undock a lot throughout the day and kind of just bounce around throughout the house and keep my environment fresh to keep my head fresh, I guess. Yeah. Well, you will get no shaming on this show for using a Pro Display XDR as <laughs> David and I b- both also made that plunge. Excellent. Yeah, no, it's the way to be for sure. It's awesome. It's it's so great. Uh, before the the Apple Silicon machines rolled out. Were you still sort of in that mindset of having a notebook and a display or did you come from a desktop? What was your life like before the 14 inch? Um, I've always been intrigued by kind of like the dual um, setup uh, where some people have the desktop and the and the laptop on the side, but I've never been super uh, alert by the idea of keeping them in sync and whatnot. So yeah. I've always been a, a laptop guy through and through. Uh, before this, it was um, one of the bigger Intel MacBook Pros. Uh, and, it, and it treated me well for years. But yeah, the Apple Silicon uh, revolution has has been instrumental in, in just making my computer so much more fun to use. Yeah, it is a crazy time with Apple Silicon. Right now, as we um, record this, people are getting ready to buy if they haven't already uh, been able to pre-order their MacBook Airs. Um, what do you think about the that screen on your 14-inch MacBook Pro? I know there's, you know, got the extra features. Do you do you notice them as someone who's not like a graphics professional? Um, I know a lot of people are are questioning, you know, should they get that low spec 14-inch Pro or should they get like a MacBook Air? I honestly um, don't think. I notice it much at all, to be honest. And and not to say it's not there. I just think some people are more sensitive to it than others. Like, um, take the refresh rate, like the 120 hertz. I know some people are super, super uh, big on that. And I'm super big on it on, like, the iOS device side. But if I have my MacBook Pro dock next to my XDR, which is only 60 hertz, I, I couldn't tell you the difference other than one's bigger. Um, like, the, the difference is not at all jarring to me. Um, and that being said, if I had like, I used to have like a Retina MacBook Pro next to a non-Retina monitor and that drove me crazy. 
Um, but just the the difference in um, refresh rate ha- uh, doesn't really bother me at all on the Mac side. So I think that leaves, I guess, the the mini LED. And even that, it's nice once in a while. Um, like if you're watching a movie, you don't have kind of like the glowing black bars at all. But beyond that, I, I honestly don't think it's a big enough, for me at least, a, a big enough difference that I, I'd make the entire purchasing decision based on that. Like if, if today I was given the choice between a 14-inch MacBook Pro and the new MacBook Air, I, I'd have a really hard time <laughs> making that decision um, just because the new MacBook Air is so nice. And for iOS development, like the, the M2 and even the M1 is so wicked fast that I don't think you'd exactly be hurting in any way. So if you're looking at the MacBook Air, I, unless you're, you're super, super into graphics or really... Um, really notice those details um like really really i think you, you the macbook air is like a really safe bet yeah i mean it's just crazy how high the performance floor of the macbook air is now i mean that you know developers can legitimately do all their work on it oh yeah like when i upgraded to the the pro here like the the performance really wasn't like i mean an extra minute off the compile time is nice and everything don't get me wrong but like it was i was never like oh i really need to get out of this macbook air land the performance is killing me like it was if anything, I wasn't even touching the the ceiling. What about iPads? Um, <laughs> I think I have all of them basically. Um, I've been working on like an iPad optimized version of my app, and I think in my head the way I've I've convinced myself, um, I'll, I'll it'll be faster if I have more iPads, which hasn't <laughs> quite worked out. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I've got everything from the the mini to the to the middle to the to the big one. Um, I got mostly because I, I kind of had an inkling that um, they'd be doing more stuff with external display stuff. Um, and, and I was hoping they do window management stuff and the, the bigger screen kind of makes it nice for that. So that, that kind of worked out nicely. Um, but I've even got one of like the older bezel ones. So I, I've kind of got all of them and I bounce between <laughs> them all depending on how I'm feeling. Um, my girlfriend loves to make fun of me. Like <laughs> when I have the big one, because she says I look like, um, uh, Moses with like the 10 commandments because the thing's so big. Um, so it's it's a very big tablet. So I think more of the time I lean toward the 11 inch model as kind of my go to. But um, I guess there's another area where the mini LED on the big one is nice in practice, but it doesn't kill me when I don't have it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Maybe my eyes just aren't that great. Have you been playing with Stage Manager? I have. Yeah, it's it's really cool. I, I really like what they did there. Like it's it's so neat to have that capability that just never existed before um i'm curious how much i'll use it after the novelty wears off because i'm, I'm kind of one of those weirdos that doesn't push my ipad super hard like uh, i mostly keep things full screen or maybe have something on in split view once in a while but i, I kind of like the ipad for that um oh no no you're you're the normal person the rest of us that try to push yeah, it are yeah, the weirdos <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's fair but um maybe now that i have it I, I won't be able to give it up but um it's it's definitely cool i'll be curious to see how much i use it in like the months to come though and then what are you doing with an iphone or do you have an iphone i guess i should ask no i'm, I'm a big android guy actually <laughs> yeah, no, that's just, what i thought <laughs> so you just ship the app and just hope it works right yeah well, it's, it's purely yeah. a money thing like uh yeah i wish i could be building android apps but the iphone just pays a lot better um, yeah, no, go. I've got I've got uh, the 13 Pro. Yeah, and I, and I really like it. I've got it in the the blue color, which I learned going to California is the color everyone has. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this was the, this was my first year doing a, a phone that wasn't. Yeah, I've been doing the white and silver for a long time, which ah. I, I really like that look. And I did the I don't, what is it Sierra blue this year with the 13 Pro. That sounds right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's really nice, but. Uh, 
you know, I, I kind of have the same realization, like looking around WBC is like, oh, there's a lot of blue phones here. Yeah, I think everyone just must go with the um, the special color of the year. So, but what drew you away from your tried and true colors? Uh, just just really- wanting a change, uh, really. Okay, okay. And I like the light blue. I didn't really care for the, you know, they did the dark green and they did the darker blue and they were fine, but st- light blue really spoke to me. So I'm glad I did it. But uh, I was, I had the same feeling you did. I was like, man, these things are everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it definitely felt a little less original. But so you must have yours without a case then too. Uh, no, I use, I use generally use a, like a Apple leather case on it. Um, I do a caseless some, but a lot less than I used to because uh, uh, I've, I've broken a few phones over the years. We don't have to talk about that. Yeah, Steven, is, Steven has a problem with, with Apple hardware. He, he's on the ban list at Apple Care, I think. <laughs> you you hit double digits and they uh, they put yeah. you on a special list. That's right. He's a violator. <laughs> They're making that rugged Apple Watch, you know, that's rumored just for me. Oh, nice! Like the the Panasonic Tough Books and everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Going to be called the Apple Watch Hackett. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I like it. I like it. That goes well with the Hermes or whatever. You've got the whole H branding down. There you go. You know, it's funny for me. Like as we're hitting the summer, I'm already getting itchy as September approaches. And last year, just for fun, I bought the normal size uh, iPhone Pro. Uh, I had been using the Mac size for several years, and you know, those, using that normal phone for the year has been fine. I, I, I don't like love it a lot more than the big one. I don't hate it; it's fine. But now I don't know what I'm going to do next year. Do you notice the like the size in hand and pocket to be a lot different versus the Max? Uh, it's easier in my hand and my pocket, but I, I like to read in bed, and it's harder to read in bed because the smaller screen. So I, I don't know. You know, uh, it's like it's trade offs. You just need a, a bed iPad. Yeah, there you go. There yeah, you go. Just one like permanently on a on a gooseneck right beside your attached to your headboard or whatever. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Electric. Go to electric.ai slash MPU and unbury yourself from IT tasks. Plus, get a free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones when you schedule a qualifying meeting. When you think of the phrase boss move, you might think of making a bold business decision or maybe giving a great presentation in front of a big crowd. The reality is sometimes being a boss in a small business means sorting out the orange juice you spilled on your own keyboard or helping staff members with setting up their new laptop. The team over at Electric, no small businesses, maybe like yours, face these challenges. That's why they've solved this problem for you by operating as your IT department. Instead of spending your time sorting through unused application licenses, setting up employee laptops, and answering never-ending IT questions from your team, you can build that empire. With Electric acting as your IT department, you can get back to what you're good at. Plus, you get a really cool IT platform to see and manage everything. You're listening to Mac Power Users. I know you're nerdy. You're good at handling this stuff at work, but you're also good at other stuff. And you can't be the person that's always doing the IT work when you have other work to do. It's just not worth it. Back when I worked at the firm, I wish we had electric because everybody was always bringing their IT stuff to me. And at the end of the year, they never really gave me credit for it. For Mac Power Users listeners, Electric is offering a free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones for taking a qualified meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash MPU. Once again, that's electric.ai slash MPU. Go there now and get a free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones for taking a qualified meeting. And our thanks to Electric for their support of the Mac Power Users and all of Relay FM. So we've spoken about Apollo, we've spoken about your background, but we haven't spoken about how you ended up 
being the person writing a really good Reddit client for iOS. So what's the background of Apollo and kind of how did it how did it come about? It's a bit storied. There, um, there's been a lot of history since I first started. Um, back then, there weren't too many Reddit apps, um, and it was mostly just a necessity of um, I wanted a project to do to build an iOS app, and Reddit was something I used and still use a lot. And it's one of those things where when you use something a lot every day, um, all the little paper cuts of something you don't like really add up. And I was like, okay, this is perfect. I'll take a swing at this. They have a nice API, um, and they have a a large user base that I know has a large Apple community too. So there, there might be interest there. And at the time, Alien Blue was the big Reddit app, which over the course of development um, ended up being bought by Reddit, uh, became the official app briefly, then was sunsetted, and they built a separate app. So that's a history of its own. Um, but yeah, I kind of just... Alien Blue was really nice at the time, um, but it just didn't quite match the iOS... Um, kind of like the human interface guidelines. Like It didn't really feel like an iOS app through and through. And I, I, I don't want it something that felt like like if Apple was, for whatever reason, to build a Reddit app like they built a YouTube app way back in the day, what would that feel like? And that was kind of my um, inspiration for setting out on the project. And um, back then, since there wasn't really at all an official app, uh, Alien Blue was kind of the de facto app everyone was using. So I kind of wanted to see like, okay, if official apps are not really existent and um, everyone likes this one app, I wonder if people would be interested in a, in a more apple version. And um, that was kind of where I set out. That was my North Star throughout the entire development process. And I ended up posting a beta for it when it was kind of half-cooked. And um, there was a lot of interest. Um, I just posted it in the Apple subreddit, and there was a lot of interest in it at that point, which was really, really exciting. And after that, I just put it through beta testing with all those people giving me really great feedback throughout the entire process and ultimately released it. And I've kind of just been uh, riding that wave since then. I know with Twitter clients that Twitter has an API that those developers use. And of course, over the last decade, there's been lots of drama around that where they were going to get rid of it. And now it's back, but it doesn't have all the features, but they promise it will. And some people at Twitter want to make it all open. It's all very messy. Uh, What is that like on the Reddit side? Because I I basically know Reddit as a website. Do they offer a full-blown API for you to get to everything? Or are you doing something else? Like, How does the the relationship between Apollo and Reddit work? Uh, it, it's pretty great. Um, honestly, the, um, I can't complain too much. Like they have, they've, I think compared to Twitter, they have much more of like a hackery tinkery culture and they're a smaller company. Um, still big, but, um, I think an API has been existent forever and, and it's very friendly to use. Like for instance, you can go to like any, um, Reddit URL, any thread and just add .json to the URL and it'll pull up the entire JSON for the thread. Um, and like you could essentially build a Reddit client just off of that, but um, it doesn't take much more to integrate all the OAuth and sign and stuff. And they've got like full documentation and whatnot. Um, over the last few years, there's some areas where they've, um, I think they've been moving faster as a company and like trying some things out. And like uh, they have like almost like an instant messenger feature kind of thing now and stuff like that that they're kind of trying out they haven't been quite as forthcoming with the api with which is unfortunate but it's one of those areas where they've also kind of been like twitter where they're saying like hey like we want to the api is really important to us and and we're they've like hired people specifically to work on the api team and and make that kind of stuff better so i'd say they've been a, a really good partner overall like um for instance the the day i submitted it um they kind of like set me up with with a person I can contact at Reddit if I have any issues, and they've been really great in responding to things. Like if there's ever an outage or an API quirk, um, they're normally quick to respond and figure something out. 
Um, so yeah, they've, they've, they've been awesome. <laughs> the day it came out, I even, they offered, asked if I wanted to join Reddit, <laughs> but so, um, but I, I obviously stuck with, stuck with my app and it's been smooth sailing since. Yeah. That's really cool to, to hear that they're so, I mean, they seem genuinely excited that people are building on top of their platform. Uh, you said there are a few features or things they've done that maybe aren't reflected uh, in the API quite yet. Are, are there things right. that that you want to do that they just don't offer and you have to build on top of other things? Or do you feel like kind of where you want to go and where Reddit wants you to go are kind of in lockstep? Um, that's a really good question. It's generally pretty aligned. Like, uh, I think... Their their API allows you to do just about anything you want. There, there's some aspects that you have to get a bit creative with, like uh, notifications, for instance. Um, the, it's kind of a feature a lot of people on platforms take for granted. Like you, somebody replies to you, you get a notification. How hard could that be? But um, with with some services like Reddit, I honestly don't know how Twitter operates it. But with Reddit, they don't really they have like you can check your inbox through the API. Uh, but they don't really have a way as a developer to say like ping me the developer whenever a new message comes in and I'll relay that to the user. So you have to kind of get creative with um, you obviously don't just want to sit on the iPhone in the background hitting the Reddit API every five seconds to see if there's anything <laughs> new because you'll destroy their battery. So, <laughs> so the solution is basically you do that every five seconds on like a server instead. Um, and then the server's repeatedly checking and then as soon as it finds something new, it'll notify the iOS device at that point. But then you get into that requires like decent server infrastructure, especially at like Apollo scale. I've had to get some help with that lately because <laughs> a web developer, I'm not. And um, that kind of stuff you have to get creative with. Um, and it takes a little bit of planning because servers aren't cheap, especially when you have quite a few users. Um, but outside of that, it, it's been pretty much just about anything you want to build, you've been able to with the exception of those few APIs that they haven't quite published yet. Um, but even those... Um, they're not like mega popular because I guess Reddit at its core is a simple service. You post links and consume them. And um, they've done such a good job of nailing that down that I think um, the possibilities are, are really endless. You know, that's one of the interesting things about your app is that, you know, it started out with the idea of like, hey, I like to make apps for the iPhone. I'm going to make a great Reddit app. But then it expands to be where you have to have web service and servers where else have you been stretched? You know, where else have you had to learn new things in order to make all this work? Um, well, I think iOS as a whole um, has transformed a lot, even since I started, um, just with stuff like Swift and Swift UI. That um, you kind of have to. Well, I guess you don't have to, but it's it's advantageous to be quick on your feet and willing to learn all these new things. Like I know there's a lot of people who not only haven't touched Swift UI but haven't touched Swift and still do everything in Objective C and make obviously incredible products. Um, so you don't necessarily have to, but I, I find it's in my best interest to kind of keep up with all the new shiny things um, because users get excited about those and building them into your app. So I think in general, you have to stay, I guess, limber <laughs> and willing to learn new things. But the the server stuff is kind of the area that I think has been the most um, out there, um, not in terms of like something that has anything to do with iOS development particularly, uh, but can be a really big, help and differentiator to your app um, and now with like server-side Swift stuff um, you can you can even kind of build it a lot easier than you could back in the day um, so that's an area that I think is really advantageous for people to learn um, because you can obviously do a lot there that can augment the app in some really cool ways uh, but outside of that I think iOS development's been um, you kind of just got to keep an ear to the ground and and be willing to keep learning this year at the platform State of the Union, Apple really planted their flag and said Swift and Swift UI are the way forward. 
What'd you think of that? And, and how is that going to change your strategies? That was an interesting statement. I, I think that got a lot of hubbub. My, my favorite thing was going up to different Apple engineers that week and saying, did you hear like SwiftUI is the best way to build an app and gauging the different reactions internally. But I, I can definitely see where they're coming from, where if it's definitely the easiest way to get started and you can move super fast. But I, I feel like there's a bunch of asterisks at the end of that sentence where like it's it's a great foundation, but you're probably going to have to use UI kit and everything if you want to build like... Um, anything super complex. Like I just don't think it would be feasible right now to build a Twitter app or a Reddit app in SwiftUI. And like those are such a, a common app to build. And the fact that they haven't been built in SwiftUI, to my knowledge, is kind of a good indicator that like it's still short in some areas. But um, that all might sound harsh because I honestly love SwiftUI and I've been using it more and more in my app and it's such a fun thing to use. Uh, but I, I think it's just important not to um, hear stuff like that and put all your eggs in one basket uh, because there definitely are some rough edges where SwiftUI's only had a few years to catch up to you know what's been, gosh, almost 14 years of UI kit development. And yeah. um, you kind of have to be willing to put your toes in both pond kind of thing because they both have really exciting, powerful technologies that you kind of don't need to go all in one or all in the other. Like Apple makes it great to use both and you can kind of take advantage of that. It kind of felt to me like they were just saying, this is where we're heading, you know, and yeah, yeah. You know, we're, we're going to get there. But if you want to know where the boat is heading, that's the direction we're going. Yeah. And, and I think it's important that they say that because I think for a lot of people, there was a certain level of confusion where they're like, what, where, where are things going? Is this kind of just like a, a pet project of theirs that they're having fun with? Or, and, and I think it, it's nice to be able to point to beginners and say like, Hey, no, like Apple's really serious about this themselves. So I, I think you're probably safe um, learning this. Something that a, a lot of developers have to spend time thinking about is their market position and the competitive landscape. You know, you're in a position where you're competing with, not only other iOS apps, but an official iOS app from the uh, from the company whose client you know your app works with, and their mobile website, which as we talked about before you joined us, uh, is kind of bad in a bunch of ways. Uh, how do you think about carving out a market for Apollo? How, you know, do you spend a lot of time worrying what others are doing? Like, how what's your sort of mentality when it comes to that sort of thing? I think I've been lucky in that I kind of get to cheat and just um, like Apollo's thankfully um, built up a pretty large subreddit that I, I kind of don't have to listen to anything but my users. Um, so if Reddit introduces like this new feature, say like feature X and nobody's really talking about it or there's no interest for it, it's not really like a, a garbage truck I'll chase. Um, it's, I'm more so focused on like, oh, users are screaming every week about it would be really cool to have this new feature. And that excites me a lot more because it's kind of like there's not many times in software development where you get to almost like get those easy wins where you're you build a feature and you're like, oh, gosh, I hope everyone really likes this. But there's certain times where everyone's saying like, we're going to love this. Just build it. Um, and that makes it really fun and exciting to develop because it takes a lot of the the fear out of knowing if you're putting your eggs in the right basket kind of thing. Hmm. Um, so that's always kind of been my North star since I started development was um, build, build a great basis, keep it Apple-y. Um, but beyond that, kind of listen to what um, people want and the suggestions I'm being given and the feedback and maybe what's not working great and just try to improve your app based on that. Um, not so far as like just, you know, throw everything at a wall and just listen to every single thing a user says, because there's some, some real stinkers out there, but 
it um it definitely gives you a really solid foundation to stand on when you kind of know um what people like and what people don't like yeah i think that makes sense and i I do really like your use of your subreddit to communicate with your customers you know i mean it's 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 from the outside, it seems like such an obvious thing to do, right? You're building this like world-class Reddit app. Of course, you would use Reddit itself to be the hub for communication. Uh, was that something that was obvious to you in the beginning or did it happen sort of organically? That's a good question. It was a, it was a while ago now. I think it honestly just happened organically. Like it was, um, I post, I had like the subreddit myself for testing and I think I posted to the Apple subreddit that like, hey, if you want to check out over here, this is where I'll be building some stuff. And that kind of got a little spike. And then I released the app and that got an even bigger spike. And it's kind of just been climbing since then. Um, but it's kind of, yeah, it just became this like, kind of like a little clubhouse for the um, the community around the app and, and building on it and suggestions for how to make it better. And it's just gotten better and better over the years. Yeah, well, it kind of makes a lot of sense given the nature of the app, right? Yeah, no, no, it does. It just, I just feel bad because sometimes I'll get like an email where someone will be like, how do you engage with customers with like an app like mine where, um, you know, maybe it's not Reddit based and and I feel like I have such a, an upper hand like that. If I was to develop an app without that, uh, community aspect and, and easy integration that, uh, it would definitely be a lot harder to kind of know where your customers heads are at and what they're liking and what they're not liking. It's like, it really is a really big leg up that I think, um, if you like have the capability to take advantage of that and really have a, an open line of communication with your users, you'd be crazy not to take it. Well, I also think part of it is just you're so transparent with your users and there's a communication going on there that so often doesn't happen in apps. And, you know, I think you're just really onto something with that. Yeah. I, I think nowadays, especially like tech savvy internet users are really good at sniffing out. And when like somebody's just lying to you or um, being deceitful in some way, and and I think I used the internet and Reddit and Twitter and whatnot long enough before I used the app that I kind of I think I kind of calibrated my compass for what kind of people on the internet that I appreciate and don't appreciate, and I I think I kind of tried to emulate the more transparent, uh, straightforward, no BS uh, people I liked listening to on the internet um, versus someone else potentially, um, and it kind of gave me kind of like a rubric to try to follow when. And it turns out the rubric's really easy. Just kind of be transparent um, and just treat people half decently and don't them too much. So I got to ask, have you considered a Mac version of Apollo? I have. Yeah, no, that's honestly, not only have I considered it, it's something I'm like actually really excited to to sink my teeth into. Um, I've been building the iPad app um, out more and more. Um, because that's also an area that's kind of lacking. Um, and I've been building it in such a way that I've been trying to conceptualize it so that I build this foundation and hopefully leapfrogging it to the Mac won't be like a, t- a total rewrite from the from the ground up. Like so Hopefully some of these idioms will match between the iPad and the Mac in such a way that um, transforming it from one to the other won't be catastrophically difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so after I have the the iPad version done, that's that's something I'm, I'm really looking forward to doing. Just if anything, out of selfishness, because I'm on my Mac a lot, as well and um the the new website is great in a lot of ways but there's a little stuff like speed i don't think has ever been something that really excels at and just like i I know how fast things like the api load like like i said you can go to the comments and 
just add .json and it'll pull all the JSON in. And sometimes I'll like load a comments thread and it'll just like be spinning for like six or seven seconds before it finally loads. Yeah. And like I'll open the JSON in a separate tab and it loads like instantly. And I'm just like, <laughs> gosh, like I know the data is there. There's just this, I don't know if they're aggregating something in the background before they display it or whatnot, but I'm just like, just show me the data I want. And it, even just out of selfishness, I just want something that gets that to my screen faster so I can use Reddit more comfortably on my computer. In the meantime, you did decide to release it uh, for Apple Silicon Macs. I mean, I've got it open right now on my Mac Studio. It's it's very much the iPhone version. Uh, what prompted you to to go ahead and do that while kind of waiting for the iPad and Mac version to come along? Um, mostly because that was kind of my strategy for the the iPad. Like <laughs> initially, like my my entire development process for the iPad app was checking like the universal checkbox on Xcode and kind of letting Apple do the rest. And I, and I kind of wavered a lot on if that was the right call. But for so many people, like that was good enough that it was much better than just blowing up the the iPhone app like Instagram on the iPad mm-hmm. um, that I figured like, sure, I'll get to a better app eventually. But in the meantime, like <laughs> maybe it's not the Apple way, but uh, in my head, something's better than nothing. And um, giving people this experience that... Um, is is not terrible. Um, maybe it isn't where I want it to be, uh, but is a good experience in aggregate. Um, will be appreciated until I get to that final point. Um, and Apple did so much work. Like hats off to them. Like I think I've added like three or four lines of code to make it more Macy. But the amount of stuff they've added to like you know convert the dialog boxes to look more Mac like and whatnot. Um, they've done a really great job of of kind of simplifying that. Like it's not a great Mac app by any means, but just the fact that it runs at all is really incredible. And and it just seemed like an easy win to release, um, especially because a lot of people were kind of getting understandably annoyed that app developers were just arbitrarily turning it off. Um, and I did, kind of didn't want to be in, associated with that <laughs> crowd of cranky app developers. Yeah, I get that. So what are, you know, we, we've been talking about Reddit today. What are some of your favorite Reddit rooms? Oh, that's a good question. I really like... Um, <laughs> the video format ones mostly like I like what could go wrong, which normally involves people, you know, being catastrophically hurt or wounded, uh, but in like a not lethal way. It's just it's like America's funniest home videos kind of. Um, and then TikTok cringe is another great one, which I think started <laughs> as a subreddit kind of mocking how TikTok was in like 2017 um, with it being kind of a cringy app. Um, and now it's kind of just like um, a super cut of the best funniest TikToks that you can show your friends and whatnot. Um, and those are kind of my, my two go-tos now. I also like classic. I like Ask Reddit a lot where there's just sometimes some really interesting discussions from interesting people or interesting perspectives that you wouldn't otherwise encounter in other places potentially. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Clean My Mac X. You want to make sure that you can trust your Mac. It's a crucial tool for work, education, and life. The folks at MacPaul are on a mission to help machines help you, which is why they developed Clean My Mac X, an ideal decluttering app for the Mac that can help keep it in tip-top shape. So what exactly does this app do? Well, it includes 49 tools to find and delete invisible computer junk. It helps to tune up your Mac so it runs at its maximum speed. Plus, it organizes disk space, showing your large hidden folders, meaning that you can free up tons of space so your Mac never runs into issues with storage. It also fights Mac-specific malware and adware and protects your computer. In short, it prevents a Mac from cluttering, lagging, and slowing down. 
Clean My Mac X is notarized by Apple and is also available in the Mac App Store, so it's been checked for security, and it really stands out in its design. It's beautiful. In 2021, Clean My Mac was honored with the Red Dot Award, UX Design Award, and has become a Webby Award nominee this year. And despite the war in MacPaw's home country of Ukraine, the team have worked hard to make sure there are no disruptions in the support and development of Clean My Mac X. The product is stable, safe, and secure. Dave and I got to hang out with some of the Clean My Mac folks, some of the MacPaw team at WBDC, and it was so great to see them. Go get Clean My Mac X today with 5% off at macpaw.app slash MPU. This discount is only valid for two weeks, so go there now, macpaw.app slash MPU for 5% off. Our thanks to Clean My Mac X for their support of the show and Relay FM. Well, Christian, we've been talking about Apollo and some of your apps today, but I'd like to take a minute to talk about some other apps. As a developer, what are some of the apps and services that you really dig? Um, most of uh, the Mac is probably where I have like my my favorite selection of like cool apps that really make my day better. Um, where there's um, there's one app that I learned about years ago from uh, Brett. I'm probably gonna pronounce his last name wrong, but Terpstra. Terpstra. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, I was in the ball fire. Um, he had a great article on his blog about um, kind of making the caps lock key more useful through like a hyper key. Um, and I really found that article like fascinating how he, long story short, he had it. So like the, the classic thing where if you tap it once it's escape, um, which helped a lot in the touch bar years where you lost escape. And, um, but he added a second layer where if you hold it down in combination with another key, like caps lock S, it kind of became like its own command S option S, um, this separate, um, keyboard shortcut that you could access, um, that no other app would kind of be stealing. Um, so you could do really cool things like have like caps lock S open Safari, caps lock X open Xcode, caps lock Z open terminal. And it, and it's kind of so integral to my workflow now where instead of hitting like command tab and tabbing to the right app or opening Alfred or spotlight and typing in the app, I can just hit caps lock S X, like jump between all my different apps. And that's been such a, that's such an integral part of my workflow now um, that I, I feel half broken when I use someone's Mac without it. Are you doing that with Carabiner Elements? Is that what you're doing? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. That's what the app's called. Um, it's yeah. Um, yeah, it's really cool. I think it used. They had to completely rewrite it to um, because I think Apple deprecated all like the kernel extension stuff from years back so they had to rewrite it as like um i think it like appears as like an accessibility keyboard or something to the software yeah um but it's yeah it's it's really clever and, and you can do some really powerful things with it um so that, that's kind of like my probably my favorite app on the mac right now we've we've heard from a few listeners that have had trouble getting that to work now and maybe they just didn't have the new updated version yeah that's probably it the hyper key though is is great and so what it does is it simulates shift option control command, which gives yeah. you that extra layer. Um, if you don't want to do a carabiner elements, you can also do that with Better Touch Tool. They they built that into Better Touch Tool now too. Oh, so no way. yeah, there's a couple different ways to pull that off. Yeah, because carabiner elements, as much as I love it, isn't always the most um friendly to use. Um so <laughs> if there's another app that does it well, yeah, that might be worth looking into as well. But yeah, beyond that, um, I kind of I'm kind of boring. Like I use Safari um, <laughs> ever since that Lord Brichter uh, post years ago that stirred up all that drama about Chrome. I think I've been uh, a little sheepish about installing that. Uh, <laughs> so I only have Safari on my computer. Um, I use Xcode, obviously. 
Um, and those are probably where I spend like 90% of my time. I have Tweetbot open in the background distracting me. But um, on the Mac side, I, I'm, I like to keep it pretty simple and light and mostly stick between those two and some Visual Studio code on the side for uh, maybe not Xcode related um, code stuff. You got that big screen. How are you handling window management? Oh, that's yeah. I almost forget about that. I use, um, I think it's pretty popular, Moom for that, um, and just have it. Um, funnily enough, mixed with Carabiner elements. So I think I have like caps lock, right key, right arrow key is like move it to the right side, left side is left side. Um, so yeah, I just have it, um, just bounce them around like that, and it makes it pretty easy, thankfully. But I guess I'll have to use a uh, stage manager or whatever now and be the full Apple, <laughs> all Apple window guy. One thing I noticed on your list that I don't think we've talked about on MPU, at least for a long time, is Microsoft To Do. So Microsoft, years ago now, acquired uh, Wonderlist, and yeah, they let it run for a while, and then they announced Microsoft To Do, which both is and isn't the old Wonderlist. So, like, how did you land on this? Because I don't think it comes up very often, sort of in in our circles of Mac users. No, it's kind of a weird one. I think it, I think I jumped on the train back when Wonderlist was kind of the, the hot thing and had been using it since. And it was honestly just like um, a really straightforward to-do list app. Like you just had like to-dos on the sidebar, different projects you could or folders you could add them to. Um, and just the, the simplicity of it all also mixed with like having the ability to add like notes and um, subtasks and it, it all just seemed very well structured to me and kind of resonated with me. Um, and then when it switched to Microsoft to do, I kind of feared for the worst that they were going to, you know, be like Google or something, completely run it into the ground. But I think that's been years ago now. And it's mostly just um, Wonderlist with a different icon and a few coats of paint and a few better features. Like other than that, it's it's been the same app I've always used. And it's just a simple, straightforward to do app that um, I think anybody can pick up and use right away. I kind of always wondered where the other penny was going to drop with that acquisition. Like, were they going to do more with this? I mean, it feels like. Microsoft really hasn't gone very far with that purchase. Yeah, it almost seems like they forgot about it in some ways. Like, I think you'd log in with a Microsoft account now to keep everything synced up. But beyond that, like, yeah, it's been years since I remember anything Microsoft-y happening with it. So in addition to being a developer, you're obviously doing some uh, design work as well uh, on your app. Any design tools there that you want to share? Um. (laughs) <laughs> Nothing super original. I, I use Figma, which is kind of the new hotness in the community, I guess. And I also use Sketch. I, I kind of bounce between them depending on what the weather's like. Um, uh, they're both great in their own rights. Um, but outside of that, yeah, those are kind of my two go-tos. I, I use the iPad a lot. Kind of, um, I kind of do like a three-tier design system where a lot of the time I'll just kind of sketch it out and see what feels right. Um, so I can just iterate really quickly and you know scroll something out if it if it seems terrible. Um, and then from there, I go to Figma or Sketch and and make it a little more higher fidelity and like actually hold it in my hand and see how it feels because sometimes you'll draw something out and <laughs> it just it doesn't manifest in any, uh, any usable way on an actual device. Um, and then if it passes that test, I, I then move to Xcode and, and build it for real. But it's so nothing too original, but it's worked well for years for me now. So I kind of like it. For those who aren't familiar, could you explain Figma a little bit? Yeah, it's kind of like, um, well, if you're familiar with Sketch at all, like that's a, that's a good shortcut. It, it's basically Sketch, um, but just um, it, it made the excellent upgrade of going electron based for some extra performance. Um, but in all seriousness, um, if you're not familiar with Sketch, it's basically just um, it's like a very 
basic on the surface version of like Adobe Photoshop or Illustrator, um, where you can draw shapes on the screen and text and kind of arrange them in layers. Um, but it's built specifically almost with UI design and website design and everything in mind and more of a digital format than maybe like Photoshop was for editing photos or Illustrator was uh, maybe for like laying out magazines or, or, or whatnot. It's, it's very um, simple in its focus on uh, building great UI and making a lot of tools uh, available to prototype things on your iPhone really quickly rather than having to actually build them in code. It's very um, drag squares, position squares, drag put text in places, images, um, and kind of lay them out in a much simpler way um, to make things quick. And then once you've kind of nailed down a design you like, you can take that and actually implement it. I noticed you've got keyboard and maestro on your list. Are you an automator? Um, I use, I'm not as hardcore as some, my main use for illustrator or uh, keyboard maestro rather right now is, um, I have, um, otherwise in Alfred, like I have the whole hyper key caps lock X thing set to open X code, but X code goes through so many versions, um, that sometimes you'll have like three different betas and two stable versions installed that, um, I wanted, I just wrote a little quick keyboard maestro script that, um, it just, when you hit caps lock X, it finds what's the right X code to open, like whatever one you have open right now and toggles to that rather than trying to launch like an old uh, version of Xcode or whatever is the, whatever file name is Xcode.app. It's just a little bit smarter and keyboard Meister made that like super easy to use. But um, other than that, I'm not, I'm not as hardcore as they come. No. What about communication? I noticed that you have a mime stream here on your list. That's an app that we've talked a good bit about on the show is a, is a male alternative uh, but only for Gmail and uh, Google Workspace accounts. Yeah, so I've um, yeah, I, I like that a lot. Um, it's I've used Gmail like my whole life for my email needs. So then it kind of felt natural when I um, uh, started doing the business stuff that I think it's G Suite or whatever that felt like a pretty natural move to use with. Um, and it, and it's treated me well throughout the years. Um, and it's just it feels a lot more Gmail integrated, I suppose, than um, the default mail app, which I don't even know if it has push fully. It's everything's a little delayed, and maybe that's just on iOS. But um, uh, it's just been it's been a really well made third party app, and I, and I know email apps aren't easy to make, so it's something I, I really admire that they've been able to do such a great job with the app. You know, I have yet to talk to someone who's a Gmail user that doesn't like memes, MimeStream. It's just so popular. It seems like it's like the one. Yeah, no, they, they they nailed it. I'm I'm excited. I don't know if it's still in beta or um, but I'm I, I really hope when they get it out of beta um that they uh charge something reasonable for it and they succeed because it's it's a great app that I want to hopefully see have a very long life. All right, well, Christian, thanks so much for coming in today and uh, and playing along with this new show format we're trying. Uh, both of us are big fans of Apollo. We wanted to kind of share that with the audience and also share a bit of your story. And we appreciate you taking the time to do that. Oh, the pleasure's genuinely been mine. This is the highlight of my week. <laughs> All right. Uh, where where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter as Christian Seelig. Um, and then on Reddit, I'm confusingly uh, I am that is, which is a, a reference to a Redwall book. Um, but everywhere else, just about I'm Christian Seelig. Nice and simple. All right. We'll put links in the show notes. We are the Mac Power Users. You can find us at relay.fm slash MPU. Thank you to our sponsors today, SaneBox, Text Expander, Electric, and Clean My Mac. And we'll see you next time.